ago, Richard Reeves was called to plant a church in downtown Memphis, and many of us began praying for the right co-partner, co-pastor to work uh, alongside him down there as, uh, as partners in ministry in bringing the gospel to downtown Memphis. And uh, Chris Davis is the answer to that prayer. Chris is going to uh, uh, share much of his own story and uh, how he ended up here and how the Lord called him. But uh, I've gotten to know Chris just a little bit. We've become acquainted, and uh, and I am look, greatly looking forward to hearing him speak to us this morning and share the Word of God. So, Chris, thanks for being here. We look forward to hearing from you. How y'all doing this morning? I rolled out of bed this morning. I'm like, and I and I. And I thought to myself, looked in the mirror like, man, what are you doing? What? It's too early. It's, it's too early for this. Um, uh, uh, my name is Chris Davis, as, as was just said, and um, been on a journey here in Memphis for several years now, a journey that I never expected. Um, and that's usually how God tends to work. And uh, some four, over four years ago, I moved here to Memphis and moved to Binghampton. I packed up my car. I uh, had a, a 01 Impala and I put a, a hitch on it because I couldn't afford to, to rent a truck. And so I put a hitch on my sedan. I packed my car from my neighborhood in St. Louis and I drove four and a half hours to Memphis waving goodbye to my family, all my sisters, my brother, my nieces and nephews, everyone. And I uh, found myself in Memphis to work in the Binghamton neighborhood under Soup Campbell. Um, and I did that for a year. And it blessed my soul, learned many things through Soup and Icon Ministries in the Binghampton neighborhood. And for the next three years, I transitioned and worked on staff with a multi-ethnic church, a church um, that gave me vocabulary for things that I was already passionate about, uh, multi-ethnic ministry, disciple-making, things like that. And so... um, and after those three years, God uh, sent me to seminary during that time, and I was able to graduate from seminary. And God has now sent me to downtown Presbyterian Church where um, we, there's just some cool things come, going, going on. And I can tell you about it. I can tell you several things about it. I can tell you how we're about to launch small groups, and I can tell you how the Lord's blessed us with some tremendous leaders. And I can tell you how we have people from different sides of the tracks building relationships with one another and how people are literally being changed by the gospel. Uh, Yokes are being broken. Chains are being broken by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I could tell you those things, but I just say, you know what? You ought to come visit yourself. Uh, You ought to come visit and um, check us out one Sunday. Uh, The Lord is really um, doing a good work at downtown Presbyterian. Lead pastors Richard Reeves and uh, we're just really excited about what God's doing. And he's growing the church. Um, people's lives are being changed. Relationships are being built. Intentional relationships. Gospel-centered relationships. And so we just want to see a church built that looks like downtown Memphis. If you know anything about downtown Memphis, which many of you do, uh, it's the city where Dr. Dr. Martin Luther King, the place where Dr. Martin Luther King was murdered, um, a place where uh, there's a a park in the center of the of downtown um, dedicated to Nathan Bedford Forrest. And if you know anything about Kim, he's one of the founders of the KKK. So there was this, 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 this history of racial tension. And so we said, man, God, what if, what if you could create a church that would be a part of the solution, 
What if you could create a church that could be a part of the solution in the 38126 area code, which was one of the poorest in the nation? What if you could create a church and what if you could send out people, your laborers who could affect change in the neighborhood and in the city? And that's what we're praying for. We're begging God to that end. And so uh, he's really up to some things. And we'd like you to come, come visit. Come visit. If you have your Bible, um, we're not going to waste any more time. Meet me in Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51. I love this psalm and many of you um, are familiar with it. Psalm 51, the psalmist of David. It reads this way. I'm going to read the whole psalm, and um, if you got a problem with that, too bad. (laughs) (laughs) Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth. In the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. And create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue, get this, will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering sacrifice of God or a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices in burnt offering and hold burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Those are the very words of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Ever seen the show uh, called Intervention? There's a show on A&E, and it's called Intervention, and it's, a, and it's an amazing show, and it depicts these individuals who are strung out, who are, who are dangerously addicted to drugs. And it goes through their life. It gives you a documentary of their life. And it actually shows you as they it shows them as they 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 are consumed in drugs and saturated in their own addiction. Men and women allowing themselves to be consumed with drugs like huffing uh, spray paint and indulging in heroin and drinking more alcohol than should be humanly possible. These people are literally consuming themselves in these drugs and they are 
are being saturated by them. And they show these pictures of how these individuals used to look. They show childhood pictures. They show pictures of their teenage years and their adult years. And all of a sudden, these before pictures are no longer the reality. They, their face has slumped down and maybe even their cheekbones have sunken in and their teeth have rotted out and they're, they're pale and they're frail from the lack of nourishment because they are consumed with the drug. They are saturated in it. And one of the things that breaks my heart about this show is inevitably they'll show the parents. They'll show mom and dad. Mom and dad showing baby pictures and they're, with tears in their eyes talking about how their child is now lost in addiction. Mom and dad broken from the sins of their children. But the point is that this show is giving these addicts who in many cases have lied, cheated, and stolen to feed their addiction, it's giving them a a chance at a fresh start. And unbeknownst to the addicted individual, they arrive in this room and they are met by a trained counselor and their entire family and, and loved ones. And they're sat down and they read these letters aloud. And basically what, what the letters say is, you're dying. You are self-destructing. And you need something greater than yourself to intervene. You need an intervention. This is what we see in Psalm 51. This is what we see. We see this guy who is saturated in his own sin, broken by his own sin. A sin of choice, mind you. He's broken. He's consumed by it. Seemingly can't get away from it. He's broken by it. But David needs an intervention. And he knows That he needs an intervention. David knows that he needs something greater than himself. And we'll see this. David says, you know what? I'm desperate for an intervention. I I need to get back to my first love. He realizes that he needs something greater than himself. And the point is that when separated from the one that loves us the most, the one that created us, and gave us every breath that we take, we have no hope when we're separated from him. When we're out of fellowship and when we're being controlled by sinful desires, when sin is left unchecked, it becomes like a deadly cancer. And we know that there's no way that we can single-handedly handle any cancer. And today... I want to speak from the subject of coming back to your first love. I think this is incredibly relevant for us right now today as we navigate through the busyness of our everyday lives. And I dare you to just sit in your seat today. I dare you to desire God. I dare you to soak in what God has to say to us through David's life today. I dare you to crave God like you never have before. I dare you to come back to your first love. But before we dig in, let me pray for us. Oh, God.
Gracious God, thank you. God, thank you for your word. For without your word, where would we be, God? Thank you for the word that lights our path, God. Thank you for the word that speaks to us, God. Thank you for your word that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, oh God. And I pray that it would be just that right now today, Father, that it would cut even to the marrow, God, in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, allow it to come alive this morning. As early as it is, wake us up in the spirit, God, that your word may speak to us. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And Lord, allow me to decrease. Lord, that you may increase in me. Have your way this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just set the scene for us. And you guys know this, but Psalm 51 comes on the heels of the the story of David and Bathsheba. An outline in 2 Samuel, David is the king of Israel. And David sends his men out to war to abolish the Ammonites. And one day David gets up from his couch and he goes to the roof of his palace. Then it happens. David sees this woman. He sees this woman. This woman is a fine specimen. She is beautiful. She is a 10. She is a brick house. This woman is fine. She's bad. She is. The reason why we know this is because David is the king of Israel. He's got thousands. He's got hundreds of women at his fingertips. And he saw her and he was attracted. She was a fine woman. She was beautiful. So David sees this woman and he sends for her. Sends him, and he sends for her and he he sends to her, she, he goes to her, and he sleeps with her. He lies with her. She gets pregnant. She sends a message back to David. She says, I'm pregnant, and you're going to have to pay some child support. No, she didn't really say that, but um, then David concocted this devious plan. And he, you know it, David calls for Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite, who is away faithfully fighting for David. And Uriah comes and David tells him to go home and take a little break in hopes that that Uriah would sleep with his wife, covering up this this illegitimate child. Doesn't happen that way. Uriah is a faithful soldier. He doesn't even go home. The plan fails. Um, David then sends Uriah back to war, pushing him right into the center of the key of the battle so that he would be killed. David then takes Bathsheba as his own wife. God then steps into the picture, sending Nathan the prophet to David to speak to him about his sins. Isn't that just like God? In our brokenness, in our sin, sin of choice, God sends a word of correction. Maybe it's through scripture, maybe it's through another person, but it's just like him to send help. And that's that's just God's mercy, his grace giving us an opportunity to turn away from our sin. He sent Nathan, the prophet. Nathan tells David a story of a rich man and a poor man. He says that a rich man had much livestock and a poor man had one little lamb that he bought and took care of it like one of his own daughters, even to the point of feeding the lamb with his own, out of his own cup. Nathan continues telling David that a traveler came to the rich man and the rich man wasn't willing to prepare a meal for his guests. So what did he do? He took the poor man's lamb and fed his guests, made a feast out of it. 
David's outraged. David says, what kind of person is this? This man should pay fourfold. He should be held responsible for this. And then we see how Nathan responds to David. Look at 2 Samuel. Turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 12. I want to just read it. We can be very clear. David gives this, Nathan gives this response to David after David is outraged. He gives this response. Nathan says to David, you are the man, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if there were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall depart from your house, because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the Son. See, sin costs something. Sin will cost you something. And maybe you don't know exactly what it will cost you. But David, David can see it. He can feel it. He's experiencing it with, with Nathan the prophet coming before him to correct him. Sent by God. David feels that sin will cost something. Sin costs something. Nathan tells David, you know what? You're wrong. And God sent me to tell you that you're wrong. A wise man once told me that we all have truth tellers in our lives. Folk that aren't afraid to tell us like it is. Nathan was this for David. Psalm 51, it's, it's David's passionate prayer and song to God after his sin becomes overwhelming. Psalm 51 is extremely profound, yet so heartfelt as David is desperate for his sin to be absolved. It's a penitential psalm. So much so that you read Psalm and it's, it's read this psalm and it's almost as if The pages are wet with David's tears. Men of old clung to this psalm. The great missionary in India, to to India, William Carey, said he wanted this psalm to be preached at his funeral. One of the theologians said the psalm should be wept over and absorbed in their soul and, and meditated upon. See, God has millions of angels worshiping, worshiping him at once. He doesn't have to beg us for anything. We are the ones that should be begging him. And that's exactly what we see here through David. That's exactly what David does. See, if you look at verse 1 in Psalm 51, the first words out of David's mouth in this psalm are incredibly important. In verse 1, David says, Have mercy on me, O God. See, what David is expressing is he's expressing his deep need. 
David recognized that because of his intentional murder of Uriah the Hittite, his adultery with Bathsheba, according to Mosaic law, what he's really do is death. There's no getting around it. He knows that because of his sin, there's no forgiveness. And he recognizes that the only shot a sinner like him has with a just, with a holy, and with a righteous God is making appeal an appeal to God's mercy. So before David says anything else, he taps into the character of God because he is bitterly aware of his own sin. He knew that he was at war with God. And the only solution was to make an appeal to what? To God's mercy. So with tears in his eyes, probably wearing his royal regalia and falling to his knees, crying out, God, have, have mercy on me. God, I, I don't know what else to do, but God, I know if you would have mercy on me, I have a chance. God, have have mercy on me. God, give me that which I don't deserve. He's saying, God, be gracious unto me. God, would you have pity on me? God, would you have mercy on me? I know I don't deserve it, but God, have mercy. Many of us right now today need to take that same posture. Yeah, maybe you haven't had adultery. Maybe you didn't have an illegitimate child. But the sin in your own heart, the pride, the greed. God, would you, would you have mercy on me? That's what God is asking. God, would, would you have mercy on me? God, would you give me that which I don't deserve? Would you, God, be gracious to me? Have mercy on me, God. Here's a lesson. Here's what this story and Psalm 51 is teaching us that mercy covers a multitude. No matter what you've done in your life, David's story lets us know that mercy of God, the mercy of God can handle it. God promises us through David's story that none of us are beyond repair. None of us are imperable. As my grandmama used to say, as long as the blood is still running warm in your veins, you have a chance. You have a, an opportunity. Yes, there are many consequences, but the mercy of God is matchless and has the ability to restore the joy of our salvation. So we come to this, we come with open hands asking God to give us that which we don't deserve, asking God to be gracious upon us, And asking God to have pity upon us. In a sense, we throw ourselves at the feet of God's mercy. See, is anybody this morning thankful for the mercy of God? Is anybody excited about the mercy of God this morning? Because you know where you would be without God's mercy. You know what you're due without God's mercy. Being broken and in sin at literally at war with God because of your sin. Oh, but for the mercy of God. The mercy of God. I was out in um, South Memphis some time ago sharing my faith. Some buddies of mine. And we were walking around and we just meeting random people and just feeling led by the Spirit to, 
to share our faith, share Jesus with folks. Came to this uh, one particular young lady, um, and she was standing on a hill in her lawn. And uh, I don't know if she thought we were Jehovah's Witnesses or what, but she was just kind of standoffish. She had her arms kind of tightly clenched like this. And uh, we asked her to come down, and if we could talk with her. She came down, and uh, we just began to share about the goodness and the love and the kindness of Jesus. And she was just stone-faced, hard, and you can see it. And as we continued to share, all of a sudden, something broke in the inside of her. Tears began to run down her face. Right before our eyes, it blew my mind. And we just said, you know what? God is pursuing you. He, he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him deeply and passionately. And we said, God, God loves you. He cares about you. And if you want, if you want that relationship, if you, if you desire that intimacy with God, maybe that you've never had before, let's just pray right now. And we gave her an opportunity to pray. We didn't say, you know what, follow us in this prayer. We just said, you know what, talk to God. Cry out to him right now. We grabbed hands. And you know what she said? God, have mercy on me. She said, God, would would you have mercy on me? And what she was saying was, God, I know I don't deserve it. I know in myself I deserve nothing, death. But would you have pity on me? God, would you give me that which I don't deserve? That's what David is saying in this song. God, my sin causes me to be at war with you. I'm an enemy of you, God. But I know if I could tap into your character, oh God, would you, would you have mercy on me? Not only this, but one of the things that we find is that David didn't hesitate to take ownership for his sin. Many of us struggle with this. But David takes full responsibility for his sin, and we see that in several places in the psalm, in verse 1, he says, blot out my transgressions. Verse 2, he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He goes on to say, for I know my transgressions and my sins in verse 3. David continues by saying, I sin and done what is evil in your sight in verse 4. And in verse 5, David says, I know what my problem is. I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's not using this as a cop-out. He assumes all of the responsibility for his own sin and his own brokenness in the psalm. He understands the mercy of God so much so that he says, you know what? I assume the responsibility. It's my fault. It's not anybody else's. He's saying that I'm totally depraved. I know some of you are wondering about verse 4. David says, against you, you only have our sin. Many of you may be saying, yeah, David, against you and you only have our sin. You didn't just sin against God. David, I think you sinned against that woman and I... I think you sinned against that man that you murdered. But what David is doing is he's acknowledging God to be the creator of all. He's saying, yes, God, I sinned against Uriah. And yes, 
I sinned against Bathsheba, but I believe that you created them. So ultimately, God, I've sinned against you. And God, have mercy on me. Have mercy. He's not using an excuse. He's owning up to his sin and taking full responsibility for it. Have you done that in your own life? (laughs) Maybe it's the sin of not treating your wife the way she should be treated. Take ownership for it. Maybe it's hidden sin that nobody knows about it and you, you struggled with pornography for years. Take ownership. Own up to your sin. Lust is out of control in your, your life and you consistently have eyes that are wandering. Take ownership of your sin. Don't point the finger. Maybe you haven't discipled your family, your wife or your children the way that you know you are responsible to disciple them and to pull them along into the faith and to lead them well, to be the prophet, the priest, the provider and the protector of your home. Take ownership. Begin now. Today, take that step. David says, you know what? It's my responsibility. It's my sin. And I own up to it, God. But I'm still going to ask for your mercy. Many times we attempt at trying to fool God. We won't own up to our sin and we try to hide it as if he doesn't know in the first place. Hebrews 4.13 says this, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who must give an account. Matthew 10 says this, 29 through 30, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. See, what the writer of Hebrew in Jesus is saying in Matthew is that you can't hide from God. He knows anyway. He sees all and he knows all and you can't hide from him. Take ownership. Take responsibility. In essence, what David is doing when he takes responsibility is he's throwing up his hands and he's saying, you know what, God, I surrender. You know better than I do, God. I surrender to your will. God, I surrender to your way. I I, I surrender to you, God. I give up my rights. I surrender. You know best. In the state of California... Um, maybe you didn't know this, but it's perfectly legal to give up your child to a local fire station or hospital emergency room uh, without fear of arrest. And on December 26, 2010, th- that exact thing happened. Um, true story. A mom walks to a fire station with her little baby girl who's only six hours old and hands the baby over to firefighters can't prosecute her. But what mom is acknowledging when she hands over this baby is she's acknowledging that, you know what, I feel like there's somebody who can handle this child, who can provide for this child, who can steward this child and raise this child better than what I'm capable of doing. And what mom does is she literally hands over 
her rights, her parental rights, her rights to speak into this child's life. She literally surrenders her rights. That's exactly what David does. He throws up his hands and he says, God, I know I got plenty issues and I'm going to take ownership of my sin, but I surrender to you. I surrender you, God. You know better than I do. I own up to it. Not only will I ask you to give me what I 